I was kind of joking a little bit with Tony last night, my wife, for those of you that don't know Tony, and I was talking about the fact that um, one of the things that I think is going to kind of go by the wayside, generationally speaking, you know, there are things that, that are part of our experiences growing up that, that sometimes change with technology. For instance, my kids, the, you know, the kids of this church and, and kids probably like under the age of 30, um, have no memory of phones that were actually on a cord. You know that? Seriously. You know, having to kind of like stretch the cord so you could get some privacy or party lines or, or busy signals, you know, those kind of things that, that change. And so, you know, we could, we could list any number of those kind of examples, but I was, we were talking about, you know, falling back last night and setting your clocks back. And I'm like, that's going away. You're not going to have to set a lot of these young people. Me, I didn't have to set my alarm clock back. It's my phone. So it's by my bed. I just had to make sure it was set for the right time this morning, it kicked back on its own. And so I was like, you know, it's going to become less and less a thing that people are even going to have any problem with the time change because clocks are automatically setting themselves. Into all of that young generation stuff, I get a phone call this morning at 7 a.m. from my son, Ryan. Now, Ryan is, um, many of you know, he's up in Tennessee. He's in his second year of college there. And he, uh, he plays in his praise band at the local church he attends there. Like he played here, he plays there. It's a church similar to ours in a lot of ways. But they rehearse every morning, on Sunday mornings, they rehearse at 7 a.m. So, so he has to be at church every Sunday at 7 a.m. for rehearsal for, before their worship services. So he called me at 7 a.m. Now, that may not seem out of character. Well, he was get, getting to church, except Murfreesboro's in central time. So it was 6 a.m. I said, son, what are you calling me so early for? He's like, well, might have been good if I'd have remembered to turn my clock back. He was sitting in the parking lot of an empty church (laughs) because he had forgotten that he had an extra hour to sleep. And for a college kid, that's valuable for all of us for him. So he was sitting there passing time because he had an hour to wait before anybody else was going to show up, and it's far enough away he had nowhere else to go. And, and I was just laughing at that because I had just said the night before, it's not even a problem for these younger kids. Well, it is for my kid. So, um, and just so you know, he gave me permission to tell that story. I'm not, I'm not here to embarrass him. He, he, he laughs at himself, and, and he knows, and he'll tell you that um, if you're looking for somebody to give you advice on how to be the most organized in your life, you're not going to him. I mean, he knows that's not his... That's not his strength. He's got wonderful strengths, but that's not the thing. You know, he's, he's a musician. I say this, and some of you are musicians. And so his mind is filled with different things than, than that, and he's kind of artistic. And sometimes they say with artistic people, they're a little more scatterbrained. And that's, and that's Ryan. That's, that's, uh, that's, I don't know if it's always true. If you're artistic, don't be offended unless it's true. Then you can be offended. But... Um, but, but the, so you're not going to go to him for that. And he knows it. He's fine with that. Now, you want other things? He's got great insight. But I started to think the kind of people that we do go to um, for advice, the kind of people that you, if I, if I said, who are the, the mentors in your life? Who are the men or women that in various aspects of life um, you want advice from? 
And, and I started to, and it's a little bit of an oversimplification, but I started to think through my own life. Who are the kind of people whose, whose opinions and insights I value? And, and they're people who either that I have deemed have knowledge or experience in whatever area of life I'm wanting them to speak into. For instance, um, if, if I want advice um, on health and, and wellness, well, I, I want either a doctor somebody who has studied the human body, knows how that works, or I may want advice from somebody who clearly has lived a very healthy lifestyle. Uh, if, if I want financial advice, same thing. You know, somebody who's, who's either studied that or who has been successful in their life in managing or investing or, or whatever it is. We could kind of move marriage. If you want advice in, in marriage, well, maybe a counselor, somebody who's studied ha- the habits of, of couples, um, healthy habits, or very often, maybe you want to find that couple that's been married 50 years and, and has clearly had a, a healthy marriage. Now, longevity doesn't always mean healthy. I've known a few that have been married really a long time, and I'm like, mm, maybe not. Um, but, but, but most often, they, they do. So, so you get the point I'm getting at. You, they're, they're want, you want to see consistency, a connection between the life and the, the knowledge, if you will. I, years ago, there was a, a church consultant I knew of. Um, I actually knew this person, had gotten a job, and they were traveling the country consulting churches uh, because they knew the person who owned the consulting company. And, um, but I had known them when they actually served churches. And I thought nothing that they're teaching other people to do, they actually did themselves. You know, and that was an issue for me. I thought I wouldn't want this person. That sounds really mean. I wasn't that we were a bad person, and it was my own judgment. But I was like, I don't know that I'd I'd want that person coming and speaking into my life about the healthy practices of ministry because I've not seen them actually develop healthy practices of ministry. It's that it's that that disconnect. When I um was in seminary, I've talked before. I served each summer that I was in seminary, small churches in North Carolina. And I remember one of the churches that I, I served one summer, I was kind of an associate pastor role, and I'm getting to know people in the church, and there was a guy in the church that I thought was probably about 65, 70 years old. And uh, he was pretty sprite for 65, 70 years old, and, and which isn't un- uncommon. I don't mean that's out of the ordinary. <laughs> he was more sprite than I would have expected. Let me put it that way. All right, let me dig out of the hole I have just read. You'll get where I'm going here, all right? Chill. This is why that stuck out at me, okay? Because as I got to know him, he had every bad habit that you could imagine. I mean, it wasn't just that, like, he was a smoker, but, like, if he wasn't inside, he was smoking. I had to smoke three packs a day. And, you know, he drank. And I, I had lunch with him one day, and he, there was nothing healthy about his diet. I mean, there was nothing that said this guy should be really active and healthy at age 65 and 70 because he's violated every rule of health you can imagine. And I was talking about that one day with the pastor. I said, how is, and I'm just making up his name, how is Bobby so, so active and healthy for, you know, his age when he's so unhealthy in his practices? And he said to me, Chris, Chris how old do you think Bobby is? I said, 65, 70? He's 41. <laughs> now, see, that's why I said that. 
But I had, because there was the disconnect, that made sense to me. Now, I was 24 at the time, and 41 seemed actually old. Now, not so much. Um, but, but there's that disconnect. Who do we, who do we go to? Well, well, here's what we know. That if I want, and if you want, advice on how to live a life of impact, a life of meaning, a life of blessings, who better to go to than the author of life? Who better to go to to the one that not only created life, spoke life into being, but the one who modeled a life of impact, a life of value, a life of, of, of um, health than, than Jesus. So let's hear some advice that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 7. Just a few verses This is what Jesus says. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not and not as one of their teachers of the law. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, we, uh, we invite you to speak your truth into our lives in these moments to, to help us to hear from, from your instruction for us, your, your words that, that shape and impact our life, that allow us to, to be men and women of, of impact. And so we ask your blessing now in these moments, in these these opportunities you give us to reflect on your words. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, I always kind of am fascinated by that little dig. I call it the little dig at the end of, the, of that chapter. That, that the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one with authority, one who knew what he was talking about, and not as one of their teachers of the law. Now, see, there's that disconnect. There's that disconnect. They, they saw in them that we have teachers who are teaching us, and we're not really sure that they know what they're talking about. We've all had teachers in our lives that were like, I'm not sure they know what they're talking about. But no, he, he has authority. There's a, there's a connection. There's a, there's a reason for us to pay attention to these words. And so Jesus says here in this, this, these verses, probably somewhat familiar to you, he uses this, this uh, metaphor of of somebody who takes what he teaches and puts it into practice is somebody who builds a rock-solid foundation. Who builds it? It's, it's on the rock, the cornerstone, the, 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 the foundation that won't wash away when the storms and, and the difficulties of life come, as opposed to those who build on the sand that has no firm foundation. And, and the phrase that is so important for us is, these teachings of mine. Because in and of itself, this small section... Um, 
just tells us to pay attention to what Jesus says, but, but we have to then, by implication, if we're going to do that, if we're going to live into these words and this, this um, challenge of Jesus to build our life on what he teaches us, then we have to become familiar with what he teaches us. We have to become familiar with, with the scriptures. And this is why we talk so often about that. We have to understand what God's word teaches. And specifically, as we read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what Jesus teaches us. And of course, this section of, of Matthew chapter 7 comes at the very end. These are the last words that Jesus is speaking um, at the end of, of his um, Sermon on the Mount. Or I should say, kind of toward, yeah, toward the end of 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 that teachings, and um, they're all things that Jesus is saying. This is, I've, I've said before, if, if you go, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and if you have a Bible that's a red letter edition of the Bible, which means the words of Jesus are in red, you know that most of, most of the Gospels, you have a little black, you have a little red, you've got a little black, you've got a little red, there's some things Jesus says, some things Jesus does in black, some set up. But in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's all red. It's just teaching after teaching. And Jesus has taught things in this section. He's taught about murder and adultery. Except he's, he's expanded that teaching. He said not only is it wrong to do, but if you think angry thoughts toward your brother, you've murdered. Or if you lust with your eyes, you've committed adultery. Some of those really kind of tough te- teachings. He talks about um, uh, revenge, seeking retribution. And that, that we're called to a way of, of forgiveness and grace, not a way of, of getting even. You know, he, he, t- he talks about judgment and not taking the speck out of your brother or your sister's eye. Uh, you know, he talks about giving to those who are in need. So, so there is this, this large body of his teaching. Then he says, and anyone who puts these into practice builds their house on the rock, has a solid foundation. And wonderfully for us and powerfully for us, Jesus then goes on a little bit later in each of the Gospels, Matthew 22, Luke 10, and in Mark 12, the second scripture that I referenced, Jesus goes back and he synthesizes his teachings for us. He synthesizes what it means to take his teachings and to build on his teachings. And he does it when he's asked a question about the greatest commandment. And this is what he says in Mark chapter 12, I think, Jeanette, we may have that on the, in the thing this morning. Let me see if we have that. I want you to see that. Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard him debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Because if you, if you want to pause it for a second, you've taught so much, Jesus. You've, you've said so much. What's the most important? What's the thing that we need to remember? And, of course, Jesus goes on to say this. He says of those commandments, he says, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is, one, is our God. The Lord your God is one. And you are to love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So he points to the love of God, but then he says that second. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So he synthesizes and, and I don't want to say simplifies because there's many ways this gets lived out. But, but Jesus says that, that the understanding, the embodiment of who I am and what I'm teaching you and the foundation of, of my teaching is this. Love God, love neighbor. 
And you love neighbor as you love yourself. So here's an implication. Love yourself too. Not in a narcissistic way. Not in a self-centered way. But in a way that says you recognize you're valued. You matter. You're created in the image of God. You're, in, you're gifted by the Holy Spirit. You're unique and wonderful. But when you recognize, when you learn to love people as you love yourself, you see in them the same thing. You see in others that same value, that same giftedness, that same worth, that same image of God in which they have been created. And so, so Jesus says that this is, this is the foundation. It is the way that we embody and we live out love. This is what it means to begin to build our house on the rock, is that we begin to practice these things that Jesus teaches. We begin to find the unique ways in which God has called us because when we do, we find life that has meaning and value and impact. That's why I said, if you were coming to Jesus and saying, how do, I, how do I live a life that makes a difference? Because I think, deep down, that's, that's what we all long for. I mean, I've never met anybody who said, I don't want my life to matter. I don't want it to, 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 be, uh, you know, to be something that, that makes a difference. And Jesus says, this is how you do it. Now the question becomes, becomes our challenge to live that out. There's a, a famous psychiatrist, pastor, passed away, um, in 1980 by the name of Dr. Milton Erickson. You may, you may be familiar with the name, but there's a story that's told that he was counseling a, an older woman who was dealing with depression and was struggling with these very same kind of questions, feeling that her life just didn't matter. And so he was trying to kind of figure out a, um, a treatment, if you will, and he was actually doing some counseling in her home, as the story is told. And as he was there in her home, he noticed that she had three beautiful um, African violets, different colors, but, but just beautiful plants. And next to the plants, she had um, uh, pots that she was clearly going to propagate the, the plant and, and to create new plants. And um, so, so in looking at this, he, uh, he finally said to her, he's like, I think I know what I want to prescribe for you, but uh, you've got to promise to follow the prescription. And she said, okay, I'll do, I'll do whatever. And he said, well, he's like, here's what I think is your problem. He said, your problem isn't that you're depressed. Said, your problem is you're not a very good Christian. And, um, or, or maybe that you're not living that out. Now, I don't know if he was a person of faith or not. I've tried to kind of unpack that, but he knew she was. And so, of course, she was a little offended, as you might be. And he said, he said this is what I mean. He said, you have a gift. You are clearly a talented uh, horticulturalist, and, and you're keeping that gift for yourself. That's what he meant by you're not being a very good Christian. He said, this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to propagate the plants until you have as many as you need and beyond. And then he's like, then I want you to take one of those plants to every woman in your church that has a baby and give them a plant as a, as a gift. He said, then I want you to take some of those plants and I want you to go to the hospitals. I want you to give it to the people in your church that are in the hospital. Start to practice that. So she thought a little bit about it and decided exactly that's what she would do. So she did exactly what he prescribed. And she took one of her plants to a, to a family member or to a friend in the church who had just lost a family member. She took another one to a, a woman in the church who had just had a baby. And she started to make this a regular practice. Ten years later... Dr. Erickson says he saw a headline in the paper, long after she was no longer his patient, saw a headline in the paper 
that said, Queen of the African Violets dies, mourned by thousands. What he said was she had found in her ability to take something that God had gifted her with, something that she loved, but to make it a, an act of love, to show a love of God as she loved others, she found meaning. She found value. Her life began to, to, to have an impact that she had longed for. That's what Jesus calls into, to take these things that we are called to, this love, and to live it out. Because, see, here's the thing. That, that, that's that's that, that point that Jesus makes, that everyone who takes these words of mind and puts them into practice, that's the phrase we can't lose sight of, puts them into practice. Because what good is any advice if we don't live by it? If somebody tells you exactly the best strategies for, for saving your money for retirement, and, and they're foolproof strategies, and there's no way they can fail, and you don't do it, what good is it? You know, I, look, I'm, I'm guilty. I, I know a lot more about health than I practice. <laughs> I try, but I'm nowhere near. You know, I know every time I, I, I order a French fries, I ought not to do that. You know, if you don't follow the advice, then, then what good is the knowledge? And, and you may have heard it said before, and, and it's been attributed to a number of different speakers. I don't know who said it first, but this is part of the problem we have in the church is that we are educated beyond our obedience. You know, we know what Jesus says, but we don't do it. In fact, the scriptures just before this, the, the thing that Jesus says right before this text in, in Matthew 7 is he says that there will be many who call upon my name, who prophesy and do many things in my name, and on that final day I'll say, get away from me, because I never knew you. You know, you knew the right things, you said the right things, but I didn't know you, and I believe because it flows right into this, because the practice of love of God, love of neighbor, and love of yourself never manifested in your life. You never, ever began to put that into practice. We're called... To, to live a life that isn't about, all about us. The uh, seminary professor at Princeton tells a story of a conversation he got into Princeton University. He was in the cafeteria one day, which is the university cafeteria, so it was students from every um, you know, uh, different school within the university system. And he got into a conversation with a young woman, and he asked her, so what are you studying? And she said, Theology. And, of course, that perked up because he was a seminary professor. And they started to share their stories. And he found out this young woman was actually um, a Roman Catholic nun. As she wasn't in the garb at that time, but she was a Roman Catholic nun, hadn't been very long. And as they began to talk, um, she shared his, her story. And she said that she had been a buyer for Macy's in New York and um, had a successful career, was engaged to be married, but just couldn't escape that God had placed this call upon her life. And um, finally, she, she, she received and she kind of accepted that God had called her to this. And she called her fiancé and they got together and she gave him the ring back. And she answered this call to, to ministry. And um, she said a few months later, she was on the subway in her, in her um, uh, Catholic yeah. habit. Thank you. Just in their habit. And uh, she was... She looked up, and there was her, her ex-fiancé, and she said that we spoke for a few moments. We both cried, and we said our goodbye. 
And uh, the seminary professor looked at her and said, does it hurt? Does it hurt? And she said, yeah, yeah, it hurts. And he said, well, then why do you do it? He said, because not all, she said, words I think are so powerful. She said, because not all of us live by the adage, if it feels good, do it. You know, if it feels good, do it. See, that's, that's what kind of the, we, we get bombarded with that. She's like, this didn't feel good. It felt faithful, but it didn't feel good. It didn't, it didn't but I knew this was what God was calling me to do for the life that I was called to lead. But see, the, the, the challenge for us is we have to kind of filter out a bombardment of, of cultural influence that says that what matters is doing what, what, what feels good. What Jesus says, no, what matters is doing what is good. There's a difference. There is an absolute difference. And so many people who live and pursue what feels good find themselves losing not only meaning and value in their lives. I mean, there are, there are stories after stories after stories of people who have everything and seem to have nothing. Because you can pursue what is good, but at our heart we're created for a relationship with God and a relationship with others that moves us to doing what is good. And when we do that, we become blessed. It, it fascinated me if you read the newsletter article that I wrote this week or this month. Um, it was a thank you to, to you all for your faithfulness and your generosity in the aftermath of the hurricane and in your support of the, of the outreach that, that we did as a church for those who are beginning to recover. And as I did, I started to read some of the scriptures about generosity, which is an act of love. And, and, I, and the one I used was from Proverbs, and I want to read it to you again. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. So one gives and gains, gives away and gets. One holds and loses. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now here's what's fascinating. As I read a number of scriptures, both in the Old and New Testament, it amazed me how many times that sentiment came up. That, that when we are generous, when we live in that love of God that gets expressed in our love and care for others, we get blessed. Now, that sounds a little selfish. We don't do it for that, but that's the result. And you know this. You, I'm sure in your life you know the joy and the blessing of, of, of loving somebody else, of giving to somebody else, of seeing the impact you can make. That's, that's not selfish. That's God's, God's created us that way. That, that's, that's the way that, that we're wired. That's a life that is built on a rock-solid foundation, which is the example and the teaching of Jesus. That's who we are absolutely called to be. And it blesses us. It's amazing to me the studies that are out there about the blessing of being generous with your time and your gifts. Uh, a study that, that, that came out, it was a few years ago, that, that showed that um, actually doing good and volunteering was good for your heart and your overall immunity. You know that? that good, giving was actually good um, for your health. There was a study of Michigan, at Michigan University that uh, they studied a number of groups. They actually had two groups of people, that, that one that didn't volunteer any of their time, and this group of, of, this was a study of men actually, men that volunteered at least once a week in some sort of ministry or outreach or caring for others, and the mortality rate was two and a half times less in the group that lived and gave of their time than those who just lived for themselves. 
uh, another study, Oklahoma City, our Oklahoma State um, University did a study. They had a, a sociologist and studied married couples that had been married over 35 years. And they looked for the common characteristics of, of couples that had been married over 35 years. And they're some of the ones you'd expect, communication, respect for each other, uh, a, a value of the, the commitment that they had made, some of the things that we would expect. But one of the top characteristics of the couples that had had long and healthy marriages was a love of God. How about that? Because the love of God, when it's a true love of God, gets revealed in the way that we love each other. So, so God knows what he's doing. Jesus isn't just telling us this because he wants us to, to kind of just sacrifice for, for no value to others or to ourselves. But there is value to others and to ourselves, And that's what it looks like to build a life on a rock-solid foundation. How faithful are we at putting this into practice? How faithful, how... how Obedient are we into building our life on these, this foundation of what Jesus teaches and what he shows. When it does, we find life takes on a whole new meaning and value because our, our foundation is rock solid. It doesn't give way. There's a classical guitarist that I, I'm not familiar with. When John's in here later, I'll find out if he is. But his name's Christopher Parkinin. And it was his story that, that really was, was interesting to me. Um, in a, he was teaching not too long ago. And at the end of his teaching, these guitar students, he, he gave his testimony. And, um, and it, was, it was recorded and written down. And you can read the long story of his life. But he's, a, he's an American um, classical guitarist. Uh, at one point considered one of the very best in the world. Maybe still is. Um, but his goal in life... Because he toured and he played and he had a recording contract, um, was to make enough money so that he could retire at the age of 30. He didn't like touring, he didn't like traveling, he didn't like living in hotels. He just wanted to make enough money to retire at the age of 30. And he did that, which to me sounds like a pretty good deal. <laughs> he, bought, he bought a property in Montana. He was a fly fisherman, so he fly fish. And he just he called his recording um, company one day, he said, I'm done. I'm done. You know, I've got it. So he retired to Montana, and he had his own property, and he fly-fished, and he set his own schedule. He didn't have any obligation. He didn't have anything he had to do. It was all what he wanted to do. And he found himself miserable. He found He, he said, I just, I, I didn't, nothing I did made a difference. I didn't have any, uh, there was just no meaning in his life. And, and that really kind of jumped out at me because so many of us, and, and I'm guilty of this, go, that, that sounds like a pretty, I'll find meaning, let me retire at age 30. But, but he didn't. And, and the truth is probably most of us wouldn't either. And so he happened to, he had raised in, the, in a Christian home, but had kind of walked away from his faith. But he was in California visiting friends, some friends and he went to church and he got challenged by the message that he heard of, of living into your giftedness, of using your gifts for this love of God and, and love of others. And, and he gave his life to Christ. And he decided to return to music, but to now do it with a new purpose. And his purpose was that through his music, he said there were two things I could do. It was play guitar and fly fish. And he's like, I couldn't really figure out how to turn fly fishing into ministry. So, uh, so he, he returned to music. 
But, but, and, and he did it, and he began to see a new purpose and a way to bless others because, because music blesses the soul. We know that. But also as a way to share his story and his faith. And it's what he said at the very end of this testimony that, that, that really jumped out at me. He said, in giving my life and my music over to God, I learned firsthand the true secret, secret of genuine happiness. In giving my life over, love of God, love of others, love of self, in giving it over, I found the true meaning of genuine happiness. Jesus offers that, built on the foundation of his, of his life and his teaching. Brothers and sisters, claim it, but put it into practice. Let it become the testimony of our lives, that our lives truly would be built on a rock-solid foundation. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the way that you teach, not just by the words that you speak, but the example that you lived. Lord, help us to live into that and to find that our lives can truly have impact and value and meaning and blessing when we learn to give away, give away our love to you and to others. In so doing, we are filled in ways we cannot even begin to imagine. Lord, fill us, we pray, in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so Jesus models, I said, Jesus doesn't just teach by his words. He models what it means to give of himself. And no more powerfully do we see that 